Uh, if you have a Bible, please grab that and uh, turn to 1 John. And if you have a, a physical Bible, you go all the way to the back, and when you hit the glossary, come back a couple of books, and uh, you'll find the letters of John in there. And if you, if you have it on a phone or an iPad, you're already there, so I don't need to explain it. Um, last month, my gym reopened. Uh, you don't care, but I do. Um, and we, we have this great local rec center in our neighborhood. It's a great little gym. They closed it for a year for renovations, and they finally reopened it last month. And so I was super excited, and so I got my buddy, Andy Lee, and, uh, who lives in our neighborhood, and we went over there, and it was super depressing um, because, remember, I had a year of not going to the gym. And so I, I went in, and, and we sat down. We're like, let's do the bench press. And so we sit down, and I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating. What was my warm-up? a year ago was now my max, which was super encouraging and, and, and depressing all at the same time. So here's the deal. I've set new goals because I like to be fit. I like to stay in shape. It's something that's important to me. I really enjoy it. And uh, so I've got new plans, new goals, and Andy Lee is going to be by my side every step of the way. What Andy did last week was he sort of gave us a, a state of the union, right, of the church. And what he was doing was he was essentially assessing the spiritual fitness of our church. How are we doing? And he kind of walked through some different areas. And I'm so grateful, and I can say this very sincerely. I am not in any way I'm just saying this because I work here. We have an amazingly healthy church. I know this because I know other churches. We have an amazingly, remarkably healthy church. Our, our teaching is phenomenal. Go to our adult Bible classes. Our worship is fantastic, what Brian and James have done. Um, our fellowship uh, with our community groups, what, what uh, Kevin was announcing, uh, getting stronger all the time. We have so many people, literally hundreds of people who volunteer in this church to make Sundays happen. And on top of that, we send hundreds of thousands of dollars all over the world to support people who are taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who've never heard it. I mean, it's an incredibly healthy church, and I'm so grateful to be part of this, this family. But there's always room for improvement. There's always room for improvement. And as we looked into 2020 and started thinking, okay, and praying, just God, where would you lead us as a body, as a church? Where's one of those areas that we need to lean into? It just became very clear to us that we wanted to lean into outreach. And let me put it in a little bit different terminology that I think is a biblical, is we want to love our neighbors. How are we doing at sharing with our neighbors, those who we are closest to, those within our proximity, the love of God? and the good news of Jesus Christ. How are we doing at that? We just became convinced that this was an area that we needed to lean into as a church because we want to be a church, both corporately, us as a body, but also individually, people who are known for loving other people well. Now, anytime you're going to start a new workout regimen, like I'm trying to do right now, you got to have a plan and you have to have the right motivation. And so we have a plan. And this is what Andy introduced this past week, and we're going to be talking about this, not for the next few weeks, but really for the next year. And because what we want to do is, is not simply check a box or two. We're not giving you a to-do list. What we want to do, and what we're shooting for here, and what we're praying God to do, is to change us as a people, again, that we would be characterized, that it would reshape our DNA, reprogram us, so that we would be a church that loves not that we occasionally do a few loving things, but that we would be a church that exudes love for those who are around us. And so we have a plan laid out, and we're going to be rolling this out as we go. If you're following along in the reading plan with questioning evangelism, that's just the beginning. 
So keep coming, and we've got these next steps that we're just encouraging all of you to take, and we're taking them, and we're being challenged by them as we seek to better love the people in our lives. So we have a plan. We need to talk motivation. Because we've all had those goals, right? Think back into maybe even just a month ago with your New Year's resolutions, how you were going to change your life, and you were going to become this new person, And we've all had those moments where we were so determined, we're going to do this, and we're going to accomplish this, and we're going to climb that mountain, and then something happened along the way, and we lost sight of it, and we drifted off, right? Everybody, we've all been there. We've all had those moments, okay? See, with the right motivation, we can accomplish so much. With the right motivation, you can quit smoking, you can lose weight, you can get in shape, you can memorize scripture, you can make better use of your time at work. You can improve your relationship with your kids. You can do all of those things with the right motivation, okay, and the right plan. But any one of those things, if you lose that motivation, it's so easy to fail. And we give up. And so we have to have the right motivation. We have a plan, but if we are going to become a church that is characterized by loving other people, then we have to have the right motivation. Because, in case you didn't know, loving people isn't easy, It's messy, and it's painful, and it will suck the life out of you. And so you have to have the right motivation, or we will give up, and we will try something else. We don't want to do that. The Apostle John is someone who thought deeply about love. He was somebody who, who, who thought so deeply about love. He, he wrote about love constantly. In fact, he says more about love than any other writer in Scripture. And he's, he's obsessed with love. I mean, if you just read all of 1 John, we're not going to look through the whole book, don't worry. But if you read all of it, he just keeps coming back to love. And the more he thinks about love, the more he writes about love. And the more he writes about love, the more he thinks about love. And the more he thinks about love, the more he writes about love. And the more he tells everybody, love one another. You've just got to love. Love, love, love. In fact, there's a story that at the end of John's life, and there's reason to believe this is true. It comes from Polycarp, who was one of his disciples. Was that at the end of John's life, he was so weak and so close to death that he could only say a few words in a day. And those words were always, little children, love one another. It's all he had to say. It's all he wanted to say. For John, it was all about love. And for John, there is no greater motivation to love than God's love. So if you look in chapter 4 of 1 John, We're going to start in verse 7. We're going to unpack some of these verses, okay? Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, now John here, he's starting with the most extraordinary claim. Do Do you see what he's saying here? I mean, this is astounding. He says that love, in its purest sense, in the truest expression of love, love as it, as it is in and of itself, is sourced in God, not us. It's, it's not me. It's not sourced in me. I don't pull this out of my heart. I don't summon love out of the depths of my soul. But actually, love, as it is, all of it ties back. If you could trace love back, it gets its root 
and the transcendent God of the universe. Love comes from God. When, when I was um, a philosophy student, I know, I was a philosophy student, the job market was just so good, I just thought, <laughs> philosophy, why not? And, and so I was a philosophy student, and um, there were only a couple of us who were Christians in the department. And one of them was a grad student, and I took a class with him, and I found out that he was a believer. And, and um, he, was, uh, he was TA, he was grading, and somehow we, you, know, you find each other in those types of environments. And, and so I remember one time having this conversation, and I said, explain this to me, how are you a Christian in the philosophy department? Because I don't know what I'm doing here, what are you doing here? And, and he said, you know what, for me it's really about love. I said, okay, elaborate, explain that to me. He said, I grew up an atheist. I never believed in God. I never wanted to believe in God. He said, for me, it was, it was, it never even crossed my mind. He said, but, he said, there came this moment in my life where I realized that if there's no God, then love means nothing. He said, because as an atheist, he said, I, I, all I could believe love, all that it was, was chemicals and synapses in our brain that were sort of hardwired in there because of this evolutionary process. He said, love, love didn't mean anything at that point. He said, it was just arbitrary. It was just how evolution had programmed me. And he said, love had to be real. He said, I just reached this point in my life and I thought, love has to be real and I have to find love. And so he set out, get this, he set out on a journey to find true love. Not, not the expression of love, true love. Which brings us together here today. Sorry, I had a guy who asked me to do that in his wedding. I didn't, and they're married. Okay. So he set out to find not an expression of love, but the, the, the essence of love. And in doing so, he found God, because you cannot look for love. Like, not just an expression, but the heart of love, the essence of love, without finding God. Because God is love. Love is the, the essence of who God is. Which means, listen, for you and I, when we, when we love other people and we experience love, that love is not something that we are summing out of ourselves, but actually that love, it ties back into the God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth. All of it is derived from him. That love comes from God. He is the source and the origin of love, which means, can I tell you, if you're here this morning and you, you don't even believe in God, you're like, I don't, I don't even know why I'm here. I'm, maybe you're just curious. Maybe you lost a bet. I don't know. Well, we're so glad that you're here. But if you're sitting there and yet you love someone else or you have experienced love in your life, you are closer to God than you know. Now, what that doesn't mean is that you know God. It doesn't mean that you're good with God. Okay. See, some people read this and they'll say, well, look, God is love. And they mean, take that to mean that love is God. You, you can't do that with how this verse is constructed, by the way. And, and so they take that to mean, look, it doesn't really matter what you believe or your relationship like with God. That doesn't matter. All that God cares about is that you love. All you need is love. But that's not what John is saying. At the same time, what John is also not saying, he's not saying that if you don't believe in God, that you can't love. He's not saying that. I know incredibly loving people who absolutely deny the existence of God. 
What John's saying here is that love, like truth and beauty, they belong to God. They're derived from God. And it doesn't matter whether you believe that, it just is. And so, even if you don't believe in God, you can still love. Just like you can still look like your parents and have no relationship with them. You tracking with me? Everybody good? Now understand that John, when he's writing this, he's not concerned with people who don't claim to know God. That's not his target audience. Who John is talking to here is those of us who would claim to know God but then are unloving. And for John, that's a total disconnect. You can't claim to know God and then not love other people. That makes no sense to him. See, part of the background here is what we understand and what scholars have, have sort of as they piece together, they do so much research into other sources as well. What we believe is that John was writing to a group of churches and they had been infiltrated by these false teachers. And these false teachers had this superior knowledge, they thought. They were super spiritual. You people are spiritual, but they were super spiritual. They had this super knowledge. This, they were enlightened. And so they had this relationship with God that no one else had. We know God in a way that nobody else does. And because of that, they were condescending, and they were judgmental, and they were arrogant, and they were dividing the church. It was divisive. It was hateful. It was causing division within the church. There was nothing loving about them. And so John is saying, hey, these people who say that they know God, understand, that doesn't work. You can't know God and not love because knowledge of God is inextricably, easy for me to say, linked and tied to love. And this is what he's going to say as we keep reading. Look at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. In other words, if you want to know God, you want to know who God is, well, let's look at how he loved. Showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See here, again, John is making the most extraordinary claim. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that you can't know what true love is apart from God. You can't know the true nature of love, the true essence of of love, apart from God's love that is fully on display in this one act, this, this one moment where God the Father sends the Son to come in to die for the sins of the world. He says, if you don't get that, then you don't get love. You, you, can, you can be loving, you can have some semblance of what love is, but you, you can't grasp it. See, again, these false teachers who come in to the church, they denied Jesus. They denied the divinity of Jesus. And so they did not believe that God himself had died for the sins of the world. And so what John is saying here is, if you deny Jesus, then you can't love. You can't know what love is. You, you have no idea about what that actually is, okay, if you deny Jesus. Because that is the supreme act of love. That act is the very definition of love. It is that act of love by which every other love that we experience, every other love that we have, is measured and compared. See, all of the the way that we love one another, all of that, it's it's just a shadow, a reflection, to a greater or a lesser degree of God's love. You tracking with me? 
It's like, remember, it's sourced in God. And so it's like this echo. The love that we have for one another, the one that we, that we experience, that is so beautiful. And yet, it's like an echo. It can be really loud or kind of muffled. be kind of muted. It can blow your hair back if I had hair. It's, it, it, it's like echoes, these sound waves that are rippling out from this one universe-altering, cosmos-shaking, deafening act of love that is the gospel. And so when you and I, when we step out into the world in love, and when we love one another, and we love our neighbors, and we love our kids, and we love our parents, and we love our spouses, all of that, those are echoes of God's love that we only fully see in the gospel. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, how do we know how God's loved us? The gospel, we also ought to love one another. Do you see the ripple effect? These are the echoes. God loves us, and now here's the ripples. We love others. No one has ever seen God. God is invisible. We cannot see God in his unveiled glory and majesty. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Right? So this, this word lives here, or resides in some translations, it has to do with this idea of a new, a new status, a new, a new um, permanent state in which we've entered, that our status has changed. We were single, now we're married. Our Facebook status has changed. In other words, we're tight with God. We're tight with God when we love one another. And this experience here, what he's describing, that love is made complete in us, understand that's, that word here is not a static perfection, like a one-time perfection and it's done, but it's actually describing this ongoing, dynamic completeness and fullness that we experience when we love one another. That this is God's love being reflected in us back and forth as we love one another and this is the full expression, this is the completeness of love that we get to experience right here as we love one another. And that when people see us loving like that, in this type of dynamic love relationship, what's his point? They can see the invisible God. It's like we can say to the world, hey, you, you can't see God, I, I know that, but look at us. Look, look at how we love one another. The way that we love one another, those are the ripples, those are the echoes, those are the aftershocks that show to the world that God's love happened in an event. And the world has never been the same. But it's not enough simply to be loving to other people. John's going to give us a second, second criteria here. Verse 13, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. So now we know and rely on the love that God has for us. See, on, on the one hand, God is giving us, or excuse me, John is giving us this question, okay? Or it's like someone is coming to John and asking a question, perhaps is a better way to frame it. And saying, John, how do we know that we know God? And he says, well, are you loving one another? Because if you know God, then you're going to be loving. But there's this second gauge that he gives us here, and that is that we have the Spirit. And the Spirit 
is evidenced in our confession that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. So, uh, my wife is a runner, and uh, she's got a smartwatch, right? So, a few years ago, she got a smartwatch because she loves to run, and uh, her watch is smarter than mine, which is appropriate. And, and, and in this, it's got all these gauges. Anybody, runners, you've seen this, it's got like your pace and your mileage and how far you have to go and how far you've gone and your calories and your heart rate and all these different things. And what all those gauges are telling her, what they're monitoring, are telling my wife how she's doing. Are you on the right track? Are you pushing hard enough? Have you gone far enough to achieve what you want to do as a runner, to run the kind of race that you want to run? And see, what John is, is answering here for us, is, it's like we're asking him this question, John, do we, do we know God? How well do we know God? Do we really know God? And he's saying, let me, let me give you a couple of criteria. One, do you, are you loving We've already seen that because God is love, and love comes from God. So are you loving? But secondly, do you have the Spirit? When he looks at his smartwatch and he looks at your smartwatch, he says, look, those are the gauges. Those are the two. But notice, it's not an either-or, it's a both-and. It's not an either-or, it's a both-and. If you come to John and say, John, I love people so much. I'm so loving I, I just love people more than you can imagine, but I don't believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's going to say, yeah, you're missing something. That's not it. That's not it. But at the same time, if you come to John and you say, John, I confess that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I believe that he is the Savior of the world, but I'm not loving. I have nothing to do with other people. He's going to say, I'm not tracking with you. There's a disconnect here. I don't understand what you're saying. And the reason is simple. It's what he keeps saying over and over and over again. He keeps repeating himself. What does he say right next? God is love. You can't have one without the other. If you have God, you have love. It's that simple. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. You are tight with God when you confess that Jesus is the Savior and when you love other people. All indicators point to the fact that you are tight with God. Verse 17, in this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. Like Jesus, we are both in the world but also in God. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. In other words, what what he's saying here is that that when we love, and when we experience love within this community, he says, then, then there's no fear of punishment. There's no fear of judgment. I, I grew up in a, in a home, and I'm so grateful, and I'm so blessed. Not everybody gets to experience what I did. I, I grew up in a home where both of my parents um, loved me deeply. I have no doubt in my mind. My parents loved me, and still love me, thankfully, last I checked, uh, ferocious, I mean, they just, my parents love me. And it's, it's wonderful to have grown up in a home like that. I'm super blessed. They also terrified me, okay? My parents were, were so, at times, terrifying to me because I knew that I had not done the right thing. So, my dad, let me, let me help you see this. Um, my dad loves me 
and could strike terror into my heart in a way that no other person or event, honestly, could ever strike terror into my heart. Does anybody have a peril like that? They, you know they love you, but they could also absolutely terrify you. And he could look at me across the room and freeze me. My heart would freeze over like ice in terror without ever raising his voice or a finger against me. It was just, just dead, you know, staring me down. And I knew in that moment that my life hung by a very, very thin thread if I did not shape up. Okay? Anybody have that kind of experience growing up? It's amazing. I was both loved and I felt totally terrified at times. And because you have those moments, right? You have those moments where we broke mom's, I broke mom's prized dish in the kitchen playing football when I knew I wasn't supposed to. And now I'm calculating, okay, I'm 10. How much can I carry in a backpack? And how far to the state line, and, and how do you change your ID? You know, how do you change your identity when you don't even have an ID? Like, you're, you're processing all those things. How far can I get before they catch me? Those types of moments. Because I've done the wrong thing. Punishment is coming. I don't even know what it is, but I'm terrified. But there's other moments where you're not afraid of punishment. And your parents are the same. My parents hadn't changed. There were other moments when I was not afraid of punishment. Why? Because my brother did it. Right? Those are the best moments, by the way. When your little brother does it, and you're like, ha it's not me. Me and mom and dad, we're tight. We're good. All good here. I'm square with them. But you, oh, you're going to get it. See, those are the best. Those are the best. See, when we are in that type of relationship, when we are doing the right thing, when we are tight with our parents, that we're not afraid of punishment. And that's what John's saying here. He says, look, so when, you, when you're tight with God, there's no reason to be afraid of punishment. But, but, but notice what he's saying here. Can I just ruin this passage for you for a moment? What, what he says here, how do we know that we're tight with God? This perfect love that drives out fear, we always take this out of context and we think we're talking about God's love. God's perfect love drives out fear. Read it again. You know what it says? You know what he's saying here? He's saying that it's our love. It's when we are part of the confessing body of Christ, the community of faith, and we are loving one another. Again, don't think perfect love in that sense of, you know, platonic perfectionism. We're talking about this dynamic, ongoing, completeness, reciprocal love. When we are in that dynamic, when we are loving like that, and we know that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that's when we don't fear punishment. Why shouldn't we fear punishment? Because look, look at how we're loving. Look at this body that we're part of. Look at this family we're part of. And we are on the right track. We are tight with God. I don't need to fear punishment. Look at how we love one another. But, what does he say next? If you don't love other people, if you're not part of this confessing body of faith, if you're not part of this loving dynamic, he says, then you need to think again because you might just be lying to yourself. That's what he says in verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. It's harsh, isn't it? He says, you're self-deceived, you're delusional. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's easier to love you 
right in front of me because I, I can see the needs that you might have. I can see how I can serve you, how I can care for you as opposed to serving an invisible God who has no needs. He says, how can you say that you serve the invisible God who has no needs? How can you say you love him when you can't even love the person standing right in front of you? 21, and he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Because if you love God, you'll love others. Um, Next month, Carrie and I are celebrating our 15th wedding anniversary. Some of you think we're really old. Some of you think we're really young. I get it. Um, 15 years, it's incredible. Um, and so we're going to go out, I'm sure, at some point. We're going to go out, and if all goes according to plan, we're going to have a nice, quiet dinner without our children. And at some point, and she's not in here, so don't tell her, um, I'm going to say something to her along the lines of, babe, I love you so much. And you, being married to you is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I just love 15 years. I can't believe it. It's been incredible. I'm going to say something like that. What I'm not going to say to my wife as we're sitting there at dinner is, babe, I love you so much, and I really appreciate that you love me. It hasn't made any difference in my life at all. You know, I appreciate that you love me, but it hasn't changed me. It hasn't changed my life. I'm completely unaffected by it, um, but I'm really grateful. Thanks for loving me. I'm glad that I got to love you. It's been great. I'm, I'm not going to say that. One, that would end our evening very quickly, but also it would be categorically untrue. So you see, loving and being loved by Carrie for these past 15 years has absolutely transformed my life. Is, my life is nothing like it would have been without her. For one, I have four children, which is awesome and horrible and, and mostly awesome, okay? Right? And, and, and I dress better because of my wife. And, and my, my standards of hygiene are much higher because of my wife. And I'm a much more pleasant person to be around because of my wife. But also, can I tell you something? I see the world differently, better, because of my wife. I, I, I love God, and my relationship with God is richer because of my wife. I'm, without a doubt, a better man, a better husband, a better parent, a better pastor, a better follower of Jesus, because I've had the privilege of loving and being loved by Carrie. To say to God, I love you, and I know how you love me, but I, I don't love anyone else, is to say, God, I really appreciate your love, but it hasn't changed me at all. I'm the same. It hasn't affected me. Appreciate it, and you know I love you, but it's completely missed my life. It hasn't affected me at all. And that is both insulting to God, but also impossible. If you love God and are loved by God, you cannot stay the same. If you love God, which is only possible because he first loved you, that's what John has said here, then it will change you. That is what love does. Love transforms. And that's... That's John's whole point. This is the argument he's been building this whole time. This is, this is what he wants us to see, that if we claim to love God, then we must, it's not optional, we must love other people in the same way that he has loved us. When I was in high school, I had a, um, a physics teacher, Mr. Bell. And uh, Mr. Bell was a Trekkie. Any Trekkies in the house? There we go. 
we'll talk later. I, I'm not a Trekkie at all, but you can argue with me over what I'm about to say. So, um, Mr. Bell was a Trekkie, loved Star Trek, go to Star Trek conventions, and he was a physics teacher, and so he would tell us at times, hey guys, you gotta watch Star Trek, it's so good. We're like, eh. And he said, no, really, the science behind Star Trek is legitimate science. I'm, I'm seeing some nods, okay? And we say, you're crazy, that's so sad. And we mock him and laugh, and we're like, that's just absurd. There's, really, if the science was real, and legitimate behind, then why don't we see starships, and why don't we see warp speed and all the rest of it? That makes no sense at all. And he would say, and he explained to us, no, 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 listen, physics teacher, the science is real. The science is legitimate science, in theory. And I thought, then what good is it? Can I tell you, one of, one of my fears for myself, and I'm not making this up, one of my fears for myself that I, I wrestle with, with God over, is that I might love really well in theory. And if I'm honest, one of my fears for us as a church is that we would be a church that loves really well in theory. Because we're really smart. And we're really good at a lot of things, like teaching the Bible, and our theology, and our Bible knowledge, and our theory, and our exegesis and all of that, we're so good at that and we know so much and the temptation is, the danger that we have to watch out for is that we can begin to think that because we know something, that's the same thing as having done something. And so we can say, hey, we all agree, we should love our neighbors and never put it to the test. By the way, if you're confused on that, next time your significant other comes to you and says, do you love me? Just say, yes, absolutely, you know I love you, in theory. See how that goes over. Guys, next time your wife says, would you please help with the dishes or changing a diaper or whatever, say, hey, doing it, in theory. My guess is that won't be the only theoretical part of your marriage. <laughs> God didn't love us theoretically, okay? God didn't love us theoretically. When God came into this world, he stepped into time and space that wasn't theoretical. The cross was not theoretical. The nails that pierced his hands were not theoretical. The, the thorns and, and the, the spear in his side, those were not theoretical. His final dying breath when they laid Jesus in the grave, that is not theoretical. God's love is not theoretical, it's real. And if we are gonna claim that we know God, that our love cannot be theoretical, it has to be real. Because theoretical love is easy. It's cheap, it doesn't cost you anything, and it's meaningless. Our love has to be real or the world is never going to believe us when we say that God loves you because they won't believe that we love them. And that is the love that the world is dying for. That is the love that the world is searching for and they keep looking for all the expressions but they are looking for the source. They are looking for the root. They are looking for God and they don't know where to find him and we have to tell them and we have to show them. And we show them to start with right here. In this family, as we love one another, not in theory, but for real, in practice, how we meet each other's needs, how we come alongside, how we get in community groups and we do life together, that's how we love one another. And it's from there then that we echo God's love out into the world. I've gone too long, so uh, James and the band, I'm going to invite them to come back up and let me close with this, okay? While they're on their way. What this means then, for you and I, we have to ask this question. How, how, how well do we know God's love? 
How well do we know God's love? Because we love only because he's loved us first. How well do you know God's love this morning? Has it sunk into the, the, the depth of your soul? Is that something that, that still takes your breath away? Or is that something that you've become so used to that it just doesn't mean anything? Maybe you've never even for the first time considered how God loves you. And that's where you've got to start. That's where we have to start. Because God's love, understand, is our motivation to love. God's love is our inspiration to love. God's love is the catalyst that moves us to love. Let's pray. Our Father, your love reaches to the heavens. It is beyond compare. It is beyond anything that we can even fully grasp or understand. And yet, and yet, you have given us this one awesome display of love that explains everything. Father, you sent your only son to die for the sins of the world. And Jesus, you were willing to come and to walk among us, to become one of us, and to take all of our guilt, all of our shame upon yourself, and to hang on a cross. That is, that is love. And we didn't deserve it. We didn't even ask for it. But your love is not theory, it is real. Lord, I pray that we would become a church that is transformed by this love. I pray for us individually. I pray for myself individually, Lord, that your, your love would so transform us that we would become echoes and ripples of your love, both within our church and without. Lord, we love you. As best we can say it, we love you because you've loved us. In your name we pray, amen.